Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. And welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Michelle Juwando coming to you live on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you and be a part of the Leslie Marshall family coming to you live in Washington, D.C. on a frigid day. Oh, my goodness. I cannot tell you how cold it is here. But I would love to hear what the weather is like where you are um, among all of the other things happening in the world. Go ahead and give me a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Or you can join the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle with one L. Jawando. So, my friends, there is so much. It's another day underneath the uh, President 45 presidency. So there's a lot to talk about. And in our second segment, we'll get into the newly released Trump budget, major cuts across the board with some of the most important um, agencies and some of the biggest policy goals of the previous administration. So we'll get into that. But before we go there... I'm really excited um, because he was first off in town, um, but I'm really excited um, to bring back to the show someone that our listeners are familiar with, um, and that's Ulrich Bozer. He is a senior fellow here at CAP. You can find him at A-U-L-R-I-C-H-B-O-S-E-R, and he recently is the author of a new book that really looks at the science of learning. And so I'm really excited to welcome him back to the show. Ulrich, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. So, you know, I think I wanted to start the conversation with the fact that um, as a parent, you know, we've talked about it on air before. My husband and I were raising three young children. There are questions that you have all the time about, are you doing the right things? Are you sending them to the right school? How do you um, make sure that what you're doing for one, does it work for everybody? Um, Or do you need different kind of learning environments? And I love that the premise of your book says, hey, wait a minute, some of these conversations that we've had about education have been focused on place as opposed to really looking at how are we learning. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your book? Well, thanks so much for having me on the show. I was really excited to write this book because I've been really passionate about education for such a long time. 
I struggled uh, as a kid really learning. I repeated kindergarten. I spent a little time in special education growing up. And it really fascinated me with this idea, how do we learn? How do we acquire new skills? And what's the best way to do that? And there's really a lot of fascinating new science on these issues that make us, uh, frankly, learn better. Uh, that's the title of this uh, book because you know when we space out our learning over time, we end up acquiring a lot more. When we explain things to ourselves, we end up learning a lot more. What I found really interesting about writing this book, Michelle, is the fact that a lot of the conventional wisdom on learning is is wrong. A lot of people believe in learning styles. It turns out there's not really all that much evidence for it. A lot of people believe that you know right brain learners are more creative. Mm. Uh, that turns out not to be true. But mm. you know, there are some things like quizzing yourself that are incredibly powerful. And and you know it's a um, Quizzing yourself? Yeah, quizzing yourself, you know, it's, it's a great way to learn. Some of us do this, you know, when you're reading, yeah. you know, stopping and saying, like, what does this author really mm. mean? What connections can I draw uh, to this? Can I see this applying in my own life? What do other people say about this? You know, that's a great way to really engage in a task as opposed to just sort of rereading it kind of passively. So there was an article um, that recently kind of featured your uh, that you were able to release in Vox. And for our listeners who, who may not be familiar, Vox is um, one of these outlets that you have the opportunity to maybe explain a little bit more in detail. And you sh- shared this really great story about the Chinese abacus um, that in an experience with you and your daughters. Tell our tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I got way too excited about this, Michelle. So the <laughs> abacus is kind of what you imagine, right? It's yeah. this uh, device. It's 4,000 years old. It's, you know, older than the written alphabet, older than the invention of glass. And it was invented as a way for people to basically make monetary transactions that were larger. It's basically like the earliest accounting device. Mm-hmm. And it looks, you know, uh, has a few um, poles with some little uh, disks on it, and you move those disks up and down. What's interesting is that the abacus evolved over time. It, you know, it was first in uh, the Middle East, then it moved to Asia, and it evolved over time to really work well with the way that our brains work. So the typical abacus just has five disks mm-hmm. on a post, and that matches pretty well with what we can remember in short-term memory, around mm. five to six items. Uh, it's very visual. We tend to be, all of us uh, ha- think better visually than we do auditorily. Mm. And and so uh, my kids and I decided to take some so abacus classes. So we think class. better visually mm-hmm. than we do auditorially, yeah, but I mean, yet most of our learning is auditory. Yeah, that's that's right. Wow. I mean, what's weird is because if you yeah. look around yourself right now, you can take in a lot of information, mm. right? The color of the sky, mm. you know, maybe if you're in the car, the other cars. But if you're li- if you're really listening to what I say, it has to be in the right order, right? If mm. I mix my words around, you're like, hey, what 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 is that guy mm. saying? Mm. And so, um, you know, Abacus uh, and other devices uh, like them really, you know, take advantage of this. And I got really excited about this. So I actually took classes with my own kids, Michelle. And let me tell you, they were not excited. You know, Sunday <laughs> afternoons for them were like watching cartoons. Right, right, and instead, right, it was right. like Sunday fun day, right? two hours of math <laughs> class in, you know, suburban Virginia. Right, right. So, I mean, what was, what did you get out of that experience? I mean, other than, you know, maybe annoying your daughters. I yep. mean, but it had to be. Uh, 
kind of just transformational and just pushing how you were even thinking about these issues. Yeah, I mean, on one side, you know, it, it underscored a lot what we know about the science of learning. So, mm-hmm. you know, I talked a little bit before about how rereading is, is passive. Um, and we have this idea, right, that our minds are like computers, right? Information comes in and it just sort of gets sorted into little memory boxes. But really, we have to make sense of information. We really mm-hmm. have to engage it. The abacus is a nice example of this. By doing these gestures, um, and, and, you know, as I'm talking to you in the studio, and I'm doing the gesture with right. my thumb, it helps me actually remember this very specific Mm. um, way of of adding. So one takeaway from this is that learning is this very active, um, you know, process. You know, we have to make sense of information. You know, just knowing random details isn't enough. We really have to engage in it in some uh, meaningful, meaningful way. So when you did begin to really study how we think about the nature of teaching and what success means, um, what were you most surprised about? You know, I was surprised about so much. Um, you know, a couple of things that really stood out with me was just the importance of errors, right? I mean, mm. if we think about learning as just this passive things, you know, errors don't really make a, a difference. But we forget that, like, learning itself is the act of, of mistakes. So, Michelle, I'm going I'm to give you a really quick quiz. You're oh, no. The air. Here we I go. I love this. I love this. Okay. I know. I see you shaking <laughs> your head. It's not going to work. Okay. All right. So, capital of Australia. Okay. Is Melbourne? Nope. Uh, Sydney? Nope. Uh, hmm? Is it Canterbury? Canterbury? No. Canterbury is Canterbury? The... Yeah. Canterbury? The... Yes. Really? So you know was... I've been to Melbourne and Sydney. That's Get what out. I <laughs> but not Canterbury. You know, here's the weird thing is that I basically a researcher did the right. same thing right. uh, to me is I you were like I was like, that's impossible. Right. right? Like <laughs> and the other thing is just, you know, I was like, I should know this was right, the one thought. Right. And then two was you know, uh, I realized, you know, that moment of like, that's so weird is a moment of learning, right? Mm. And so we have to make And mistakes. I'll never forget You'll it never again. never forget that. I'll never. <laughs> you know, the researchers have complicated names for this, and, and uh, it's called the hypercorrection effect. Mm. You know, this, this feedback that's really salient in your mind becomes something that you learn. And, you know, I think this is a great example of like, this is meaningful for you, right? right. If I, you know, if you've got something wrong about something you didn't really care about, you'd be like, eh. Yeah. But, you know, making that... Um, meaningful connection, Mm. you know, that both that your emotions are involved, uh, that the information is salient, you know, is going to help you remember. And more than that, you know, uh, this isn't just about facts, right? It's about seeing connections and analogies to to other other materials, even if one of your guests is quizzing you. (laughs) And I absolutely love Australia, and I'm hoping we don't go to war. Please listen, President 45, okay? It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place. This is Michelle Jawanda on the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm in studio with Ulrich Bozer. Um, We're talking about his book, Learn Better. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk about how we can get all the greatness that's in his book into policy so that we can actually get some of this stuff right. You're listening to the Leslie Marshall Show. I'll be right back after the break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE.
with my friend and colleague Ulrich Bozer. He is the author of Learn Better and Senior Fellow here at the Center for American Progress. We're just talking about <clears throat> his new book, Learn Better, that really examines the science of teaching. Um, so today we we are still unpacking the Trump administration budget, 13% cut across at the Department of Ed. Nine, yeah, yeah. And when I tell you what that number is, that's $9 billion leaving, I know, leaving the Department of um, Education. Now, again, I tell people a president's budget is a blueprint. Congress can uh, either accept or reject those changes. But nonetheless, it does tell us what his thinking is. With that as a backdrop, Ulrich, you know, I I wonder how much of what you were able to kind of put forth and really question how we're teaching our kids. What can this administration, what are some of the policy recommendations this administration can take from your book? Well, I think at a very high level there this administration is is really focused on on vouchers they want to privatize mm-hmm. our system of education and you know i think that's short-sighted for a number of reasons you know one uh doesn't have to do with the book but just has to do about you know american democracy mm-hmm. right i mean we have a public education system that is uh available to all students that's, that's non-discriminatory right. and if we go to a private system right the, the schools are going to be able to uh discriminate against students they're going to uh allow students students who they don't want in. Uh, so I think that's, you know, should be disconcerting to, to all of us. The second thing is this focus on vouchers really uh, overlooks what really matters, and that's what happens in classroom. Mm-hmm. And in part of uh, my research, you know, as part of this book, Learn Better, uh, you know, we saw just, you know, changing classroom interactions, improving the ways that students and teachers engage with one another can have really a, a tremendous effect. And, you know, we have these debates focused on vouchers. This is what this administration is, is pushing. And I think it's incredibly important for people to push back. But we also need to give teachers the tools that they need, give them the training and the supports that they need to succeed in the classroom. You know, how do we better align what you've identified as the science of how we learn with the way that we're we're we learn currently you know i mean even just what you shared earlier about we are more visual than auditory learners it totally makes sense but then i think about particularly in high school um you know you're often sometimes not in the most interesting classes and you're 45 minutes of someone kind of just droning on and on and you don't get the same interaction. And that's something you see more frequently in like elementary school or middle school. I remember there was a lot of projects and hands-on activities, but high school, not as much. You know, the argument of my book is that learning really is this process. It's Mm -hmm. a method. You know, for a long time, Mm -hmm. we really thought that learning to learn, right, this uh, idea was all about intelligence, right? And that's supposedly what IQ tests are meant to measure, right? Our ability to solve new problems. But what we now know is that there are certain techniques, certain Mm -hmm. strategies, certain approaches that really are far more effective than others. And, you know, I lay this out in the book and and kind of give a real description. But what's clear is in the very beginning part of the learning process, and and this is true if you're young or old, if you want to learn Chinese, (laughs) or if you want to become a better uh, 
you know, car mechanic, at the beginning, you need a lot of guidance. You right. need teachers who are helping you right. uh, gain those skills. But as you become more and more skilled at something, you need to uh, have more of those experiment, uh, those experiences with getting your hands dirty. And, That's right. You know, this is true for knitting, and this is why it's, I think, going to be increasingly important for especially high schoolers who starting to have a good grasp of a topic, whether it's math or mm-hmm. science or English, you know, to really then start uh, applying those skills and applying them in a variety of, of scenarios. If you're just joining us, this is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm in studio with my guest, Ulrich Bozer. He's a senior fellow at CAP and author of the newly released Learn Better. So, Ulrich, you know, you're, you're a parent. How do you put in practice what you've learned at home? Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful question. You know, there are two things that I recommend for parents to, to think about. And if you can't see me, folks, I'm taking copious notes. Okay, go ahead. Uh, that I think are, are just really, really easy things to do. One is to space out your learning. The more mm-hmm. that you space out learning over time, you really distribute your practice the more learning there is. So you're much better off, my kids don't like this, my kids don't like this, I'm gonna warn you, but you're much better (laughs) off having them do a little bit of homework over the weekend Mm -hmm. because that spreads out the learning over time. You know, Mm -hmm. you really wanna do everything you can not to cram. The other bit of advice uh, that I give to a lot of parents, uh, and it's true for your own life as as well as uh, learning, is to what's called interleave your practice. So interleave. Pe- interleave. So okay. my example that I like to give is 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 basketball. You know, if I want to get better at basketball, basketball, I, I do did too. my bracket. Tar Heels all the way. Oh, I'm so sorry. Gosh, gosh. Well, Are you a dookie? No, no. Oh, I was I'm like, not. Ulrich, you cannot come back. No. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'd like to know now that there is, you know, a solid a solid line about, you know, what could, what can get me into the studio and, and what can't. But look, you know, when we want to practice basketball, uh, I, I like practicing my, my hoops all the time. You know, I would like, and, and students do this a lot, right? You want to block your practice. So I'd practice mm. all my three-pointers on one day. Mm. I'd practice all my jumpers on the right. next day and foul shooting on the next day. You learn sometimes, you know, 30% more if you mix it up on mm. each day. And this is true for math. This is true for giving presentations. The more that you mix up your learning, uh, you know, the more the skills that you gain. And so when my daughter comes home, she's in third grade, and she has her math times tables, they love to give them, you know, yeah, so they all the fives. Right. All the fives, but right. really she'd learn a lot more doing some threes, some fives, some nines, and, mm. and mixing it up like that. And, oh, that's awesome. You know, I think it's a, it's a great piece of advice for parents, kids, anyone who wants to gain any sort of skill. So I've been doing this because we know our president reads Twitter. Yes. And 140 characters or less, what do you want the president to read about Learn Better? That's a great question. You, you heard my pause. <laughs> I was I was not thinking about my bracket. I was like, wow, 140, 140 letters. Look, he released a budget today. I think that budget is is so short sighted, right? right? We have schools, um, you know, we're we're here in D.C. schools in Baltimore that close down because they don't have air conditioning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We have schools in this country where the walls are crumbling. Right. Mm-hmm. We have kids who are using you know, ancient computers or, or textbooks that are out of date. This idea that not only uh, are we not going to up our investment, but right. we're going to bring down our investment. And not only that, Michelle, we're going to bring down our investment for the kids who need it the most. Right? That's this right. Is, this money has had been targeted at disadvantaged students. What this president meant to do is to take it away. So my 140 characters are... Let's nix this budget and reinvest in education. All right. Perfect. Eric Bozer, senior fellow, author of Learn Better. When we come back, we'll dig into the budget. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show.
right. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. And many thanks to our guest last segment, Ulrich Bozer, author of Learn Better. Um, if you are just joining us, and I hope you can stick around, we have an amazing panel coming up discussing the latest from the Trump administration and their recently released budget. And if you want to join in that conversation, go ahead and give us a call at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888 three seven five four three or join the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle with one L Jawando. So I am happy to have in studio two guests who are going to help us kind of frame what was recently released. Joining us um, back on the show, none other than Harry Stein. He is the director of fiscal policy here at the Center for American Progress. You can find him on Twitter at Harry, H-A-R-R-S-T-E-I-N-D-C. And also so joining us on for at the show for the first time, Ross Eisenbray. He is the vice president at the Economic Policy Institute. You can find him on Twitter at Ross, R-O-S-S-E-I-S-E-N-B-R-E-Y. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for having us. So this is a big day for all budget <laughs> people. So we, we so appreciate you coming online. But I think one of the things um, that our listeners are most interested in is really understanding um, what this administration is trying to say. What is the meta story around the budget? For those of you who are just joining us, President Trump released a partial outline of his 2018 budget on Thursday, proposing billions of dollars and spending cuts to most government agencies to pay for really large increases in military and homeland security spending, resulting in a 1.2% cut in discretionary spending overall. So, Ross, I'm actually going to start with you. What is the president trying to say with this budget? Well, he says he's making America great again. <laughs> he, uh, he's making us uh, militarily stronger. Uh, that's the main message, and protecting us from threats at our border. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everything that, that guy just says, bull. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, Harry, what do you think? Um, thank you, cousin Vinny. But th- uh, what, Harry, do you think <laughs> President Trump is saying with this budget? Well, I think you know we heard a lot of great rhetoric. Sometimes great rhetoric. Sometimes really damaging rhetoric from Trump when he was running for president. We heard good things about infrastructure. We heard some promising things about child care. He said everyone was going to have health insurance. And what we're seeing with this budget is the exact opposite, Mm -hmm. that that Mm -hmm. no, he's just picking up the Republican playbook of of cut these things, go after affordable housing, go after meals on wheels, preschool. And what we're really seeing here is, is cuts that pose a direct and immediate threat to jobs, mm-hmm. economic security, health and safety for American families. And at the same time, when we're talking about things like going after the EPA with enormous cuts, mm-hmm. well, for big polluters, that that's great. They can cut corners and get away with it because no one's there to stop them. But if you're somebody who drinks water or breathes air, <laughs> this is not a good budget it's, for you. It's challenging. So what was what was your initial reaction, Ross? I know you've spent many years both on Capitol Hill, on the House and the Senate side, um, and obviously there's a major role that Congress will play after kind of taking time to review this budget. But I, I'm just interested in kind of what was your initial gut reaction? 
Well, I, I, I looked at this and said, I'm going to be and Americans are going to be less safe mm. after this budget. The things that are real threats, uh, cancer, mm-hmm. environmental destruction, those things are being uh, uh, the protections and, and our defense against those dangers are being cut. And what I, I consider much less likely threats to the American people, uh, distant threats from ISIS mm-hmm. and so forth, are I, I don't know that the budget will really make us safer with respect to those, mm-hmm. but we're throwing money at that problem and we're ignoring what I consider the real threats. And the, the thing that really struck me was this is a budget that goes after America's gray matter. Yeah, It's like the lobotomy mm. budget, except mm. it's the lobotomy on on the part of the brain that we really need to meet future challenges. So mm. it cuts the NIH budget by $6 billion. It cuts R&D at the Energy Department. It cuts R&D at NASA. It cuts uh, uh, programs like uh, the Manufacturing Extension Program that will help manufacturers meet the the challenges of foreign competition. It cuts nurse training. That's right. I mean, all... Community development block grants. I mean, it it, is... It cuts... uh, Probably a couple of hundred thousand students will have less money to go to school. That's right. Because it cuts the supplemental education opportunity grant. Yeah. Uh, this is a program. Th- this whole budget I- is really going to make us less uh, less intelligent, less informed, less able to meet the challenges of mm. the future. Harry. So I mean, what what do you say when you see such a um, what I seem, or the way that I interpret, is this kind of just complete disconnect with how um, many of his constituents live their life, the resources and the usage of government. So whether you're either talking about Meals on Wheels or, as you mentioned earlier, protections around our health and safety, there's such a disconnect between the people who I think thought that they were supporting this president to, quote unquote, protect them and make America great. And then the budget, which seems in some way to go after um, those people. I think that's absolutely right. You know, I think people people may have wanted to see change, but this this is not the change that people voted for. And I think when we've got these big budget numbers, they're very abstract. It's hard to actually understand what that means until you dig into the specifics. And the specifics are not what people are looking for. Mm-hmm. Ross mentions the $6 billion cut to NIH. I don't think people voted to not have cancer research right, anymore. Right, right, And And particularly when we think about rural areas, mm-hmm. and, and rural areas supported... Tr- generally supported Trump fairly heavily. Well, this is going after specific programs at USDA that build infrastructure Mm -hmm. in rural areas. Mm -hmm. Those go away under the Trump budget. You know, we're seeing huge cuts to USDA, rural assistance, farming programs. And and some of that's also affordable housing programs Mm -hmm. at USDA. Mm -hmm. And there's a 21% cut in the budget. Well, if those rural housing programs get cut even 10%, that would mean 27,000 families in rural areas would, would be losing their housing assistance and potentially at risk of homelessness. You know, um, earlier in the segment, I think our, our producers played the sound bite from um, Cousin Vinny for those who, was a hilarious movie, but really challenging the fact that almost everything that the president says make America great seems to run in opposition to the things he actually does. Everything that guy just says bull. 
<laughs> the, the, exactly. Yeah, the biggest like, the biggest thing that that is completely missing, I would say, is infrastructure from mm, this budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in fact, there are cuts, as, as uh, Harry said, there are the cuts in rural wastewater and and water programs. There are uh, the the cuts at HUD, uh, which I consider infrastructure. You know, providing mm-hmm. housing for people, but transportation is cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is nothing. Uh, Amtrak is cut. The president said, I remember when uh, he, he made his acceptance speech, he said, I'm going to uh, deliver a first-class, world-class American transportation system. That's right. I'm going to world-class bridges and roads. That's and right. Trains, ports, he said, mm-hmm. airports, all of this stuff is missing in this budget. And for someone like me, a New Yorker, coming out of El LaGuardia or JFK, I said, hey, we can get behind that. And I think you saw a number of senators like Sherrod Brown thinking about rural development who said, you know what, if there are opportunities for us to increase manufacturing, for us to increase community development, I will be there with him. And if not, I'm going to resist his actions. And this budget is just such a failure on so many levels. Harry? It's, it's such a failure. And I think, you know, oftentimes I think that sometimes we and and people in the media will make this mistake of taking Trump at face value. So he <laughs> says, I'm for infrastructure. And they say, well, that's that's interesting. He's for infrastructure. He says, but his infrastructure, as, as Ross says, his budget makes huge cuts to infrastructure. That's right. There's vague talk about something in the future. We'll see. <laughs> but his budget makes huge cuts. <laughs> he says, I'm for child care. And, and Ivanka Trump has a, has, has a child care plan. Well, that child care plan is mostly a tax cut for rich people. That's right. And at the same time, his budget makes huge, look at his budget. It makes huge cuts to child care, potentially, potential huge cuts to Head Start. He says everyone's going to have insurance. No, his right. health, look at the plan. It takes twenty-four million people, not million people. not from anybody else, but the nonpartisan CBO office. Twenty-four million. Right, and and so I think we we make a mistake when we just take this at face value. Mm-hmm. Time and time again, Trump will say these things that are maybe not what we're used to hearing from Republicans, but then when when push comes to shove, he's always pulling the rug away, and it's either the same or even worse than the kinds of things that we would see out of the House of Representatives for years from people like Paul Ryan. So if you're just joining us, this is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm in studio with Harry Stein, Director of Fiscal Policy at CAP, and Ross Eisenbray, Vice President at the Economic Policy Institute. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Ross, I'd like you to... Oh, and you know what? I realize that we're actually going to be able to go through. So this is even better because, Ross, the point that I wanted to ask is we we now found find ourselves with a number of big competing proposals. So the president has put forth this kind of Trump care proposal. You see him putting forth this budget. And the numbers don't seem to add up in any in any of these proposals, both in terms of protecting Americans, making them healthier, keeping them safe. What should we be hearing from our congressional leaders when they're reacting to this budget? Because thus far, we haven't really heard that much from Paul Ryan or others. What should they be saying about this budget? Well, you know, I, I actually heard from John McCain this morning who mm-hmm. said that this budget will not pass. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that, that was great. I'm not sure exactly what it is that he right. doesn't like about it. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Democrats have already said that that uh, they have no interest in building a wall mm-hmm. between us and Mexico. That's right. This budget 
makes a start on building uh, a wall with Mexico that really serves no purpose and uh, is a fantasy because, Mm -hmm. you know, you just can't build this wall for the kind of money the president is talking about and you will never get Mexico to pay for it. Never. Um, So, (laughs) uh, you know, I I hope that that, uh, Congress will go through this and say, no, we want better educated mm-hmm. uh, students, not more poorly educated students. We're That's not right. in favor of those cuts. We we don't want to do away with Superfund uh, cleanup. You know, $330 million mm-hmm. cut out. That, that means unhealthy communities. That means people getting sick. No, we don't want that. That's a bigger threat to us than some distant, uh, you know, problem with ISIS in That's Syria. Right. The American Different. people are more concerned, I think, about their children not getting cancer than they are about, you know, some remote threat from from abroad. So, uh, no, I, I haven't heard uh, the members of Congress speak out yet. They're probably still studying this. But, mm-hmm. but uh, Democrats generally are not in favor of transferring $50 billion from the programs that, that invest in, the, in our, our children, in health, in education, and transferring that to the defense budget. Yeah. So, Harry, sometimes we hear this term discretionary spending, um, and I'd love for you to kind of put it in layman's terms for us to understand, because I think, you know, we're going to hear a lot of these labels. We're going to hear a lot of conversation in the coming days. Break down for us kind of what discretionary spending is and why is Donald Trump targeting such a huge amount of these, quote unquote, discussion discretionary funds? So in a technical sense, discretionary spending is the money that Congress controls every year in appropriations bills, as opposed to programs like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps that are handled in more permanent legislation, so they're not in annual spending bills. So Trump's budget is only focused on those annual programs. Now, as far as what do they actually do? Well, about half of discretionary spending, a good deal more than half if if Trump gets his way, is defense, is, is military spending. And then the other half is what gets the worst name in Washington, non-defense discretionary spending. (laughs) But let's talk about what that is. It's defense and everything else. And everything else. (laughs) And that's because defense is such a huge part of this piece of the budget. Right. Um, But that's health and safety programs. That's Mm -hmm. jobs programs, infrastructure, education, research, wage and hour enforcement. I mean, basically programs that invest in the American people, invest in the middle class. A lot of what people think of when they think of how government works Of how government works. And, and then also programs that maintain a level playing field. You mm. know, I think that you see a lot of bashing of the Environmental Protection Agency from this administration and, and from Republicans on the Hill. Well, that's a program that, that fundamentally is there to make sure that we're enforcing the laws on the books. EPA funding is not about more or less regulation. It's about are we going to enforce the laws that we have so that people can't get away with just polluting the air and water to make it And I buck. think a, a distinction that is important in in especially as we talk about EPA is these are enforcing regulations that keep us safe this is not just regulations these are policies that say you cannot put x number of chemicals in our drinking water that is a regulation people you know i think that that people ross sometimes miss that well that's true and and uh the same is true with regulation at the Department of Labor. Right. It's regulation that says you can't cheat your workers. <laughs> you have to pay them overtime when they work more than 40 hours in That's a week. Right. You can't pay them less than the minimum wage, and you can't put them into a workplace where they'll be 
crushed by machinery or you know, fall from a tall building, they have to have, the regulations are, they have to have fall protection. Mm -hmm. There's no one really who is opposed to that except for, you know, a, a uh, cut the corners kind of negligent employer. And wh I wish we could come up with a better name because, you know, I hate how they often kind of wrap us as, you know, big regulation and we're trying to stifle innovation when actually as the point that you made so clearly Ross actually when you cut NIH when you cut research and development that's how you stifle innovation not with these things so we're we are about to go to break 30 seconds Harry Ross what should people be looking for over the next few days Watch what Congress does. And as you're looking at these cuts, and if you don't want to see $6 billion taken from NIH, call your congressman, let him know. That's right. Ross? Well, I, I think there are some little bitty agencies that people don't know about that tell a lot about what's going on, too. The Legal Services Corporation, mm -hmm. which uh, is the only agency that helps ensure that uh, poor people actually ha can get a lawyer, mm -hmm. is being eliminated. Mm -hmm. uh, the Chemical Safety Board that investigates when there's an explosion at a factory or a refinery or a grain mill, figures out what went wrong and how to prevent it in the future, that's being eliminated. Why? 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 You were listening to Harry Stein, Director of Fiscal Policy at CAP, and Ross Eisenbray, Vice President at EPI. Please follow these gentlemen in the weeks and days to come. And when we come back, we'll have talk media news. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Many thanks to our guests, Harry Stein and Ross Eisenbray. And I'm excited to join uh, Justin Duckham from Talk Media News for the latest going on. Justin, breaking news on wiretapping? What's going on there? Uh, quite a bit. We are actually in the middle of a uh, rage storm, I guess, coming from Sean Spicer against reporters in response to the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee co-chairs coming out today and essentially concluding that there is no evidence of wiretapping. Uh, you know, the White House briefing was postponed by about an hour, presumably the, to give the administration some time to respond. Uh, and as a result, they are essentially doubling down on the president's claims. I think it's probably the only way that we can really describe it. Uh, Spicer came out, and uh, in his response to this, he went on a six-minute list, at least, of media outlets that had reported that there was some kind of surveillance going on against the Trump campaign, many of which did not actually accuse Obama of wiretapping or make any hints at wiretapping. Some of those include some kind of off-kilter uh, publications that have um, previously made some pretty bold conspiracy theories about the Trump administration in Russia, and then proceeded to essentially say, that what the intelligence community or the intelligence committee said was not actually what they said. So this briefing is going on right now and is really just one of the more brazen examples of Sean Spicer coming out and scolding the media for what is appearing to be a pretty obvious, uh, you know, misstatement or lie, however you'd like to describe it, coming <laughs> from the Trump administration. So, I mean, are, are, are we getting any new information? I heard there was something related. The Senate Intelligence Committee, the bipartisan committee said there's nothing there. There's no there there. 
Uh, that's exactly what happened today. Both of them came out, and it's important to note that they are both members of essentially the Gang of Eight, the members of both chambers that have the deepest um, security clearance and have the most you know, formidable grasp on the intelligence community. And they came out and said there's no evidence. Uh, and the White House is pushing back against that, saying that they have not yet fully reviewed uh, all of the evidence. The White House still has, I believe, until next week to submit uh, additional information, even though the DOJ has not confirmed that they have anything to give. Um, yesterday, Donald Trump finally sort right. of stepped up. Justin, we are getting ready to close out, but thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. Stay tuned. We'll keep you informed the best we can. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.